Well, thank you, young men, for taking up the offering, and thank you, Greg, and those that lead us, and we worship with him. We are so grateful. Years ago, it's been quite a years, quite a few years ago. I wasn't going to pick on him without him being here. But Tucker and I worked on the drilling rig together, and for a period of time, we were staying in the same room. We were staying at my grandparents' house in a kind of a spare area that they had, and so we were both on the uh, both were staying on the same shift, and so we both kind of slept in beds right beside each other, and so the struggle was always in the morning of getting up. And so you'd set your alarms, and of course, if you're a McConnell, that means you don't wake up to anything. Atomic bombs could go off, and you could sleep right through it. And so we were always trying to figure out how it is that we can make sure we get up and we get to work. And so Tucker had a Motorola phone. And back in the days, this Motorola phone had a ringtone on it that Tucker could still sing by memory if he wanted to, but it went, Hello Moto, and it had this little tune, and it would go on and on and on. It was like the Barney song. It just would not stop. And so it was the most, one of the most annoying sounds you could ever imagine. And so at the right time, this phone would start going off and it would, the intent was it would wake us up. And that was what was supposed to happen. And it did. But Tucker, knowing how much I couldn't stand it, would pretend to be asleep. <laughs> So that I would have to get up before him and he would sit there laying there in bed, awake, pretending to be asleep, knowing that it was driving me bonkers, wanting to turn it off but knowing it was his phone. And he would just lay there with this sound going on and on and on and on. And from time to time he will remind me of those days, he calls them the good old days, when him and I were in the early morning trying to get up and trying to get to work. But I don't know about you, but I still struggle with getting up in the mornings. I still struggle with waking up. I still struggle with getting started. I still struggle with getting that first step out of the bed. I know that there's some people in this world, and I don't know why, but some people, they just wake up, they're excited, they bounce right out of bed, and it's just like, ha ha, and they're just ready to go all day long. And I don't understand you people. I, I I don't get how you do it. For me, it is still a struggle. Several years ago, I became familiar with a man by the name of Jocko Willink. If you ever heard of him, he's a former Navy SEAL. For a period of time, he was the commander of SEAL Team 6, which is a pretty noteworthy, of uh, great notoriety within the armed forces. And now that he is out of the military, he is now a bit of a leadership guru. He does some coaching, has some podcasts, has written some books and some other things. But what I really latched on to was he had an entire album release called Psychological Warfare. And in this album called Psychological Warfare, there's just several clips of him speaking to the listener about the mindset mindset they should have. So I listened to this and I thought, this is great. So now what I do, much to the chagrin of my wife, what I do is I will play these to help get me going in the morning. I I I want you to listen to my favorite one. Now... Don't get scared and don't run. Just listen. Get up and get up now. This is where you win. This is the first battle of the day. This this victory will establish your mindset for the rest of the day. So do not be weak. Do not lay down. Do not sleep in. Do not falter. Do what you need to do to get up. 
to make yourself get up and get going. And I know, I know, I know you want to crawl back under those covers. I know you just want to get five more minutes of sleep, just five more minutes. And I'm telling you, no, do not. Those five minutes are not worth bowing down, bowing down to weakness, bowing down to procrastination. Don't do it. Be strong. Be powerful. Get aggressive. Instead of letting your goals and your tasks and your health and your discipline waver, instead of letting all those things slide, instead rise up and aggressively move forward down the path toward victory. So you can set that as your ringtone. And I will set that and all of a sudden I will hear this voice out of the middle of nowhere. Get up and get up now. And boy, I am wide awake and I am ready to go. He may say, well, Spence, what does any of that have to do with the Bible? Well, I want you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter I know we've been walking through the book of Joshua, but we've done, we're going to make a bit of a, a divergent this morning. I want you to join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I hope you have a Bible with you, and hopefully when you came in, you got this bulletin on the back of that bulletin. There'll be some notes if you want to use that as we walk through God's Word this morning. We have been at Summit Youth Camp all this past week, and part of us being there at Summit Youth Camp is they gave each one of the, each one of the students had a book, and in that book, there were some morning devotions that they wanted the, they wanted the students to go through. And so Friday morning, I was sitting there doing the morning devotion that they had set aside, and this was the passage that they gave us to do. And as I'm reading this, I was just hearing these thoughts, these words from Paul, yelling to the church, get up, wake up, do not slumber, do not sleep. Church, this is the time to be Awake, And I realize that for a lot of people you're saying, well, we are awake and we are doing something. But the morning, this morning, my goal and my aim is to encourage us to not fall asleep. And I'm not just talking about physically being asleep. I'm not talking about going to sleep tonight when you bed down. But I'm saying as a church, as a ministry, as a body of believers right here in Wilson, Oklahoma, we should not sleep. And you may say, well, Spence, we're not asleep. I think as long as we have people dying and going to hell, I think as long as we have a church that is in decline, and I'm talking about the church writ large, I'm thinking as long as we are still seeing ministry become harder and we're still seeing more and more people that are moving in the area, not aware of who Jesus is, not aware of what the church is doing, as long as there is still ministry and work to do, we have a purpose to live. And so as I was reading this Friday morning, I was just thinking, this is like Paul yelling to the church, don't go to sleep. So I want you to see with me what I saw last Friday morning. I just want to walk through this passage because you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and we're going to look at all of verse 1 through 11, but we're going to focus in on verse 6 because there's, I want you to see with me, there's some realities facing the church. 
Now, this isn't meant to be a, a complaint or a criticism or a, a lashing, if you will. I just want to encourage us. We're right here. We just finished youth camp. We're getting ready to go into children's camp. We're right here in the middle of the summer. Vacations are happening. Schedules are happening. The heat's going to get harder. And it can be easy for us to be lulled into just a sense. Just a sense of just same-o, same-o. So I want you to see these three realities with me this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church and he gets towards the end of this letter, his first letter to the church there in Thessalonica, and as if he is telling them, don't go to sleep, don't give up, get up and get moving. And he says in verse 1, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day, for we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. The first thing I want you to see, the first reality that I want you to see from this text is the deceit of slumber. The deceit of slumber. Paul is writing to them and he realizes they were a church. He realized they were born again. He realized that they were being faithful on one level or another. But he's wanting to remind them about the dangers, the deceit of slumber. And so he writes to them to tell them, do not forget. I know that you know that Jesus is coming back. But do not forget that it could happen in a time that you may not expect. Do not go upon your days believing and thinking that we have more time. Who said that we have more time? All throughout Scripture, Scripture is replete with the reminder, we do not know how much time we have. So every single moment is a gift. Every single moment is an opportunity. Every single moment is a moment to be ready for the return of Christ. And how many times do we get lulled in this idea of thinking, well, I always got tomorrow. I always got the next moment. I always got the next moment. I failed today, but I will do better tomorrow. We always assume that we are going to have more and more time. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Satan is so adept at getting us to buy into this idea of slumber that we can just say, well, we can just put it on coast. We can just put it on cruise. We can just take a break for a while. You will have people that will say, I am just so tired. I need to rest. Somebody asked me this morning, well, how are you doing? I said, I'm delightfully exhausted. why stop? Why stop? Why quit? Why assume that I can just take a break and nothing will go wrong? We as a church, we have so many times been tempted to buy into this deceit of slumber to say it's not going to hurt if we just back up, slow down, or just quit altogether. And Paul is writing to the church and he's telling them, do not buy into this. Be ready for when Christ comes back. Be ready for when that moment happens. He says in verse 2, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He is saying that there is going to come a time, going to come a moment that we do not expect that Jesus is coming back. And church, this is the call. This is the clarion call to say, Be ready. But there's the danger. Even as we're sitting here this morning, there's the danger to assume 
It's not my problem. Not on me. Now I'm not involved. Sometimes we start to expect the known. We think that we already know what's going to happen. We think we already know what's going to take place. People, I've heard people throughout the years that have said, well, you know what? The Christ won't come back until the, the temple is rebuilt on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And if you know very much about geography, you know that right now there is an Islamic mosque that is built on the Temple Mount. And so I've heard people say, well, you know what? Jesus isn't coming back until that Temple Mosque is torn down and the Temple is rebuilt. And yet the Bible says that no one knows the day and the hour. Or some people say, well, you know what? I've looked at the Olivet Discourse. I've looked at Mark. I've looked at the Gospels. And they say that you're going to have rumors of wars. And you're going to have wars. You're going to have famine. You're going to have pestilence. You're going to have all these earthquakes. All these things that take place. And these things aren't taking place anytime soon. So I'm good. We have more time. You do not know. So sometimes we rest in what we know. Sometimes we rest in our feelings. Sometimes we just think, well, I feel like God is happy with me. I feel like I'm doing a good job. I feel like I know which way I'm to go. But Paul is coming in and he's writing to the church and he says, you need to be ready. It doesn't matter about your feelings. You're not going to be judged by your feelings. You're going to be judged by your faith. So he says, don't buy into this deceit of slumber. Don't buy into the fact that you just need an extra five minutes. Don't buy into this fact that you can just let it slide for another week. Don't buy into this idea that someone else will take care of it. Don't buy into this fact that you're tired and you need some type of meantime. Don't buy into this fact that we can ever take the foot off the gas and just coast as a church. If nothing else, we should continue to go faster and faster and faster. Someone told me a couple of months ago, Man, preach, we've got more stuff on the calendar than we've had in a long time. I say, praise the Lord. I say, praise the Lord that there's that much stuff on the calendar. But you know, the, game, the, the goal and the aim is not the activities on the calendar. The goal and the aim is the witness and the proclamation of God's word to a community. So if we need more activities or we need less activities, what we should be gauging upon is how much are we reaching the community that God has called us to reach. And yet sometimes we get tied into this idea of slumber and Paul is looking at them and I think by extension Paul is looking at us and is saying, don't go to sleep. And I wonder if Paul was here this morning, how many people would he look at and say, you're asleep already. How many churches do we have that are plateaued and declined because they have decided to go to sleep? How many Christians are backslidden or out of church? Stunted in their spiritual growth. Stagnant in their walk with Christ. Dry in their spiritual intimacy with the Spirit. They, they, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're mature chronologically, but they're immature spiritually. And it's because they have gone to sleep. Here in the text, they use you can look up the definition of sleep and it's akin to uh, death. It's the idea that when you go to sleep and death are the same thing when it comes to the spiritual. You're not growing. You're not moving forward. You're not expanding. You're not maintaining health. You're just in a state of being. And yet how many times do we get lulled in the idea that sleep is not a bad thing? Paul comes in, he's writing to the church, and he wants to remind them that there is always the deceit of slumber when it comes to the life of the church. So how do we combat that? We combat it by the battle for vigilance. See there in verse 6, he says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but what? But let us keep awake. He's referring to this battle for vigilance. He understands, he understands, he wants us to understand there is a continual spiritual battle taking place. Every single Sunday morning, there's a spiritual battle. 
Some of you wake up and you say, I don't feel like going to church today. Some of you already made your mind up on Saturday night you weren't going to church today. Some of you made your mind up on Thursday that you weren't going to church today. Some of you made your mind up last Sunday when you left you weren't coming back to church today. Some of you are looking for an excuse all week long of why I don't have to go to church. Some of you are given an excuse on every single morning why you don't go to church. Everybody doesn't realize that they are battling this battle every single day. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's also a Monday morning thing. You wake up and you say, I should read my Bible. I should at least pray to God. I should at least have some type of a spiritual devotion, a a spiritual moment this morning. But at the same time, you wake up and you're late. You wake up and you're not in a good mood. You wake up and you got 30 notifications in your phone. You wake up and you have all these things that become distracted. And the next thing you know, you're not paying attention to God. You're paying attention to the world. And we have this danger of not realizing that this spiritual battle is constant. So you're sitting here right now and you're in a spiritual battle. You leave here this morning and you're going to be in a spiritual battle. You go home and you're going to be in a spiritual battle. Tonight you're going to be in a spiritual battle. When you go to sleep tonight, you're going to be in a spiritual battle. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to be in a spiritual battle. This spiritual battle is always taking place around us. Notice he alludes to that up there in the passage. He says in verse 2, notice what he says. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He wants them to know that it comes in a, in a, in a all at once. And he says in verse 3, sudden destruction. Verse 4, he talks about the day to surprise you like a thief. He is reminding them that this battle is going constantly on around us and we need to be aware. I was surprised that all these individuals during this pandemic of these last years they were so much more aware about their mask about their proximity to other people what other people were doing around them than they ever are about the spiritual warfare going around them. I could have walked into a restaurant without a mask on and everybody in the restaurant would have noticed me walking in without a mask on. Five years ago, no one would even pay attention to what I'm doing because everybody's sitting there looking at their phones or they're self-absorbed in themselves. We've seen this where people have this acute awareness to the things around them and yet brothers and sisters, friends, do we have this acute awareness when it comes to the life of the church that we are continually in a spiritual battle? And this spiritual battle he talks about, then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Why do we keep awake? We keep awake because the battle is going on around us. This truth is never secure. The idea of what is right and what is wrong, what God says and what God hasn't said, what is sin and what isn't sin, the things that God calls to be truth and absolutes, that is never secure. It is always under attack. Holiness is continually being compromised. What we think we should be allowed and what we think shouldn't be allowed, that is always up for debate. This idea that we're coming in, that we, we're always under this barrage. And yet, how many of us stay vigilant? How many of us are looking to stay awake? Down there in southwestern Oklahoma, we had fire ants. I haven't seen them since I've been back up here to Wells. We had these fire ants. They were terrible. They killed my bees. They'd bite the boys on their ankles and their legs. 
They were just everywhere. And so you would treat them. So you'd go out in the yard and it seemed like you would put some ant, uh, we tried a lot of different types of treatments, but you would put some type of poison down. You're going to treat that fire ant then and you think, okay, boom, I got them. And then it seemed like all they would do is say, well, that place is no good. Let's move over here. They move 10 foot over and you go and treat them. They move 20 foot over. You go and treat them. They go 30 foot over. And then they seemed like they had multiplied. And it seemed like the more you treated them, the further they spread. The more you mess with them, the more popular they got. And it seemed like they were going all over the place. So you could go out every single morning and look for a new place and treat a new place. And the next day, they would still be up there. It was constant. It was everywhere. And you had to be vigilant to keep addressing the problem. And yet, we wake up in the, every single morning and we are lulled to this idea. We're, a, we're, we're, we're oblivious to this idea that we are in a battle. And church, I want us to know that Paul is reminding us It's not just enough to recognize the danger of sleep, the deceitfulness of sleep. But we need to understand that we're in a battle. We're in a battle to stay awake. You think back to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus goes and he's got the disciples with him. And he tells them, stay awake, pray with me, watch with me. He goes away a little further, he comes back and they're asleep. And he wakes them up and goes, what? You can't wait? You can't stay awake for one hour? He goes away again, they go back to sleep. He's coming back and he's saying, hey, I need you to stay awake. And yet in this spiritual life, so many times we start to add this attitude that our priorities are negotiable. Our priorities are not negotiable. Now the world tells us that our priorities are negotiable. But the Word of God doesn't tell us that our priorities are negotiable. And Paul is is writing to this church and he is telling them, you need to be vigilant because the world all around us is trying to get us to compromise. The world all around us is trying to get us to slow down, to be quiet. The world around us is trying to get us to retreat, to close in. This world is saying, oh, it's okay, just go to sleep, it won't hurt anything. The world around us is saying, oh, you don't need to be up in arms about this problem or need to be up in arms around that problem. Oh, that's just a little thing, you just need to get with the time. The world around us is always trying to attack truth, attack God's word, attack the the values that God has placed in us. The world is always around us trying to say, just give up. In church, there are certain things that we should never compromise on. What are those things, preachers, the things that God doesn't compromise on? It's the thing that Jesus never compromised on. I sat here last Sunday and I'm looking at a whole group of students and I'm saying, okay, when we go to camp, no tank tops, no shirts with offensive language or or questionable trademarks on the shirts, no shorts that show more than what you should be showing, none of this. Don't bring this stuff to camp. We get to camp and what happens? It's all there. It's all there. And the students are looking at me and going, well, preacher, why did you say we couldn't do this if they're doing this? And I told them before we left, the reason why is because they don't represent First Baptist Wellston. And because they are being led by different people. And because when we go, not only do we represent the kingdom of God, we represent this community and we represent this church. So I don't care what they are doing. We are going to do what we are supposed to do. And I mean this in this sense that it doesn't matter what the church on the street is doing. It doesn't matter what the church in the next town is doing. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing. It doesn't matter what the popular people are doing. Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle for faithfulness. So instead of trying to model ourselves off the popular game or instead of trying to model ourselves 
ourselves off the uh, up and rising game or instead of trying to model ourselves off the what the people pleasing game is this, we need to ask ourselves, are we being faithful to the battle that God has called us to? So he says this battle. We need to be vigilant for the battle. So he, he says there in verse 6, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. And then he goes on to this third one because he talks about the illusion of control. Notice he says at the last part of verse 6, he says, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now if you were to look up the word sober there in the original language, it simply means just to be self-controlled, disciplined, clear-headed. You think of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, he talks about them being sober. Sober of mind. And I'm not talking about sobriety from some type of intoxication or mind-altering substance. He's talking about the sobriety that comes with just having the clarity of thought that you are listening to God. Having the self-control and discipline in your life. So he says there in verse 6, let us keep awake and be sober. Why would Paul put that there? I think the reason why Paul puts it there is because he realizes that the majority of us, most of us, are great actors. We are wonderful. We are great at putting on a show. Looking apart. We are great at coming to church and someone saying, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. I am great. And you're not. You're hurting. You got doubts. This morning you were in great spiritual battle that no one knew about. You got obstacles to overcome. You've got conviction of sin in your life. You're getting pulled in a thousand different directions. You want to stand for truth, but you know it's going to cost you something and you see you're considering wavering. You see people around you that are hurting and you're wondering, God, why would you allow them to hurt? You have loved ones in your life that are getting poor doctor's reports or they're struggling and you're saying, God, why don't you do something? You turn on the news and you see all the division. You see all the, the polarization. You see all of the unrest that is taking place and you're like, God, what are you doing here? You see the churches that are in decline. You see the pastors that are failing morally and they're failing with integrity and character and their names are plastered all over the news like, ha, ah, see, another church bites the dust and you're wondering, God, what are you doing? God, where is this going? God, why is this taking place? And you start to have doubts and you start to have worries and when you come into church, you put on a smile and say, everything is wonderful. But notice how Paul puts it there at the last part of the passage. He says, keep awake and be sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul says the reason to be sober, the reason to maintain this sober demeanor and this sober way of life is so that you can see that it's not about what you can see it's about what God sees and so that you can see it's not about what you control it's about what God controls and it's this idea that we are not living for what makes sense to us we are living for what pleases God and there are certain things that are going on around you that you have no idea why God is doing what he's doing but you don't have to understand because God does 
And we might be great actors, but too often we assume that we are in control. We assume that we are in control. We present ourselves as though we are in control. We say that we are in control, that we have self-control and we are in control of what we are doing. But the reality is, few of us actually practice control. What do you mean by control, Spence? I'm talking about the self-discipline and self-control to be faithful to God. I don't think I'm the only one in the room that has felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit before to tell somebody about Jesus. And I didn't. I'm not saying that as an escape. I'm not saying that as an excuse. It's an embarrassment. And it's a shame that a person that has been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ would stop short of being obedient to what Christ has called me to do. But I don't think I'm the only one in the room that has been prompted by the Holy Spirit in one step of obedience or one act of faithfulness and yet stopped short and didn't continue to do it. So we present control. We give the illusion of control. We say that, oh, I have self-control. Oh, I have discipline. But we don't practice it. Paul comes in here in verse 6 and he says, keep awake and be sober. He wanted the church to understand the danger of falling asleep, the danger of going into this sleep mode when it comes to ministry. He says, so how do you guard against that? You guard against it not by just staying awake, but being sober. He uses both of them because I think that Paul understands that you can be awake and not sober. You can be awake and driven by every whim and passion that you have. You can be awake and not living for Christ. You can be awake and not living for the things of God. You can be awake and living for this world. You can be awake but not be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that's where the problem comes in. We just have activities but no spiritual direction. We just have busyness but no spiritual unction. We just have services but no changed lives. people are coming in and not submitting to the control of the Holy Spirit in their lives I think Paul is coming into this passage and he is just pleading blaring to the church get up get up get moving there are thousands of people within a 10 mile radius of this church that are not in church this morning why? There are thousands of people within a 10 mile radius of this church that you don't know their names. You don't know where they live. You don't know if or where they go to church at. You don't know if they're going to heaven or hell. Why? There are hundreds and thousands of people within a 10 mile radius of this church that are not being pursued. They are not being ministered to. They are not being sought after by this church. Why? There are ministry opportunities abounding for you to participate in advancing the kingdom of God and to helping in the ministry of this church. And yet, for so often, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Why? Because we have too many people that are spiritually asleep. So what do we do? How do we maintain this state of being awake and sober? Just a few points and I'll be done. We need to understand that sleep can be deadly. That sleep can be deadly. If you look back and over the passage, he, he reminds you 
that the day of the Lord will come. This is out of verse 2. He reminds them it will come like a thief in the night. He reminds them in verse 3 that they're saying, oh, peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them. He reminds them that there's a danger when people just give way to sleep. It can be deadly. Churches can die numerically when the church goes to sleep. And I'm not saying it could be deadly necessarily physically. I'm saying it could be deadly spiritually because there's people that are not hearing about Jesus. There are lives that are not being changed. There are decisions that are not being made. And people are headed for hell because the church is too busy sleeping it off. And not just that, but we need to remember that being awake and sober are not the same thing. Just because you're awake doesn't mean that you're sober. We have a huge issue right now with discipline, spiritual discipline. I'm looking at this set of teenagers and I'm saying we are going to spend this week reading our Bibles every single morning. And these teenagers look at me like, why? Why should we do that? Why in the world do we have a whole generation of teenagers that don't understand the priority and the value of reading their Bible? I think it's because they're seeing a whole generation of parents that aren't modeling it. I think that we have a danger when we aren't teaching our young people to pursue after God in the same way that we're having them pursue after other idols in this world. I think we have a huge issue when we are not teaching our children the basics of Christianity, but we're teaching them the luxuries of electronics. I think we have huge issues in the world when we are teaching our children to be more like the world and less like Christ. Church, just because we're awake doesn't mean that we're sober. This is the final one, and I'll I'll quit. I want to plead with you to celebrate sobriety. You know the program out there called Celebrate Recovery? It's a whole program designed around celebrating people that have struggled with addictions and vices and behaviors, and so they have this Celebrate Recovery program. But how often do you hear somebody talk about celebrating sobriety? Celebrating the fact that you are self-controlled. Celebrating the fact that you are spiritually disciplined. Celebrating the fact that you are being faithful to God. My desire is not for you to be present. My desire is for you to be faithful. My desire is for you to be obedient to God. Not to follow a box. Not to check a list. Not to just come and be seen. And go through the actions and go through the motions. My desire is for you to come and serve God. And submit to God. And I think that we should celebrate this sobriety. When we see people being faithful to God, we should celebrate it. But in order to do that, we have to be awake. So my question for us this morning is what are you? Are you awake? Are you sober-minded? Are you self-controlled? Are we asleep? Is there things in our lives, things in our hearts that are keeping us from pursuing after God? Are there things in our lives that are keeping us from being effective and used in the kingdom of God? Are we a church that is sitting here this morning looking for a good place to lie down? Are we looking for a place to go and tell? I don't know where you're at this morning. But I believe that if we ask the Spirit to show us, He'll show us exactly where we're at today. Bow your heads with me.